you're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, we have a fascinating episode of the Paracast for you today. But before we get to our main guest, and I'll tell you who he is. He's Dr. Bruce McAbee, a scientist who is involved in UFO research. We're going to talk about the Gulf Briefs case, which he investigated thoroughly and other stuff later. We also have so many questions. One of our listeners gave us a list of questions that's enough for a whole show. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Let's go back in time to our guest two weeks ago. Now, two weeks ago. Oh, boy. We had a lot of fun with J.C. Johnson. This is why I called it a campfire episode. You know, you're sitting around the campfire. People are telling you stories. But some people, skeptical or not, say, you know what? He's telling stories. Where's his evidence for any of this stuff? Now, you've known J.C. for year after year. Is he just telling stories or is there a very strong factual basis behind all this stuff? Well, you know, Gene, that's a really good question. And, you know, I want to be careful with how I answer it. I have never gotten a sense from JC that he's purposefully making up stuff. I really think he believes all this stuff that he investigates. I I have always found it, how would I put this, Uh, just highly unlikely that a single person would have as many claimed experiences as he has had. Yet, I'm an example of somebody who has had an incredible amount of of unexplained uh, sightings and experiences. I, I do consider myself to be healthily skeptical. I do question my own eyes, but I've I've had amazing experiences in my life, so I can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I really would like JC to come up with some slam dunk evidence, some photographs, some video footage, you know, some solid scientific evidence or visual evidence that would even document one of these these incredible claims of his. I I mean, he's so much fun to listen to that you know, I I think we have to uh you know, take everything that we hear uh, from experiencers and from people who claim these types of things. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. But living in the area that he does, I mean, it is filled with uh, traditional uh, people, with stories, with legends, with claims. You know, I find it very interesting that I should get a call from a very respected uh, ex-aerospace engineer, Ron Regeer. Uh, with a, a, an amazing report of a small three-foot-tall uh, mini T-Rex. And then JC, I get a similar report from him the same day, totally unrelated to the report that I got from Regeer. So, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, you know, I really, I can understand why some of our resident skeptics, who I don't understand why they would even listen to an episode like this with JC, unless they're really jonesing for somebody to rag on. But I can understand why... Why they might have, uh, you know, issues with uh, some of the claims that he's made, but uh, the guy really does help people. He he goes out. People do have uh, strange experiences. They claim, and he goes out and, and at least attempts to help them. At least attempts to document the information. And none of our skeptics are willing to do that. Are willing to put in the time to actually help people. And I think that's one thing that's overlooked in all this uh, critique and uh, complaints about people. Uh, going out and 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 attempting to uh, investigate these types of of things uh, is they're trying to help people, and uh, you know you can take everything else away from them, but you can't take that. So the key is he's collecting legitimate cases from people, trying to make sense of them. 
He's not a scientist. What is his background? That's a good question. I, he's a river guide. Uh, he's been doing river guiding for a lot of years. He spends a lot of time in the outdoors. And I think that that uh, is something, again, that's overlooked by our skeptics uh, and naysayers. The man is a man of the outdoors. He's very, very competent in a natural uh, environment and natural settings. I've uh, spent time out, outside with him. Um, he's the real deal uh, in terms of his outdoorsman knowledge and, and the amount of, of exploring that he does around the wonderful Four Corners area. So, sure, living in Cincinnati, uh, uh, Ohio, or someplace in the Midwest, you don't have context about how big and vast and magical this particular part of the world is around the Four Corners. So, I think you have to take everything with a grain of salt. J.C. Telly is an amazing storyteller. I just love listening to him and guffawing about every five minutes. But what can I say, Gene? You know, we needed a guest at the last minute. We hadn't heard from J.C. in a while. I called him up. He's always fun to listen to. Yeah, now somebody is complaining because J.C. is associated with someone named Tom Biscardi. Not anymore. Not since that in just ridiculous uh, frozen Bigfoot in the box scenario about four years ago. J.C. was involved in that and was very upset. Uh, which he mentioned on the show, he he doesn't have anything to do with Biscotti or, or this uh, dire character who's now trotting out this supposed dead but Bigfoot. He 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 thinks that that is really, it takes so much of the potential gravitas away from the subject with these people that are being uh, you know that are hoaxers and being and buying into hoaxes. So. I, Whoever that was that responded obviously doesn't uh, doesn't fully understand the relationship. So this is basically out of date, out of time. This is nothing yeah. that applies to the current situation. No, JC was was very upset about the way that whole whole thing went down. He spent a lot of time and uh, was taken in. Uh, you know, he was uh, in a, in a place of trust. I, I think Biscotti, to a certain degree, was as well, but. Based on my limited knowledge of, of you know what happened and how it happened, but I think JC means well. I really do think that he is a man on a mission. Uh, whether he has uh, suspended his disbelief more than other people or not, that's open to debate. But again, JC has a good heart. I don't think he is purposefully misleading people, purposefully lying. I really do feel he believes uh, <laughs> these stories that we hear. But he's had more things happen to him than any other person I know. I, I swear, it, it's it's just amazing. Uh, if all this stuff was true, I mean, you know, they should Hollywood should come knocking on his door. <laughs> I think that's what breeds a skepticism. You can't believe that any single person is going to have so many experiences. Of course, where he lives, where he hangs out, he probably makes himself susceptible to more than I would. I mean, I'm a hermit. I live in one place. And I get out occasionally. Yeah. You have something to say, but you're not going to do it. Well, I don't know. If you've ever been down to the Chuska Mountains or the Lukachukas and, and some of those areas of uh, northeastern, you know, call, uh, northeastern Arizona and, um, let's say, like, northwestern New Mexico, I mean, that is spooky country out there. And it's not by accident that... Uh, the people that live there have traditions that uh, that talk about strange creatures and other things. Uh, you know, sure, your average person in, in Cincinnati or New York City would think, oh, that's just a bunch of hicks with a lot of tall tales and they believe anything. Well, that's not quite true. And and I'll be the first one to uh, to stand up for 
some of the the wonderful Native American uh, folks that live up there and and have truly have strange experiences. I mean, you know, I've investigated uh, for over twenty years a lot of interesting reports, and uh, there's got to be something to at least some of these claims. Uh, I'm not sure if it's what people think it is. It may be misinterpreted, but the bottom line is, unless you've been out there and you've looked these people in the eye, you've interviewed people that claim they have strange experiences, unless you've done that, you can't come across as being a know-it-all and someone that knows more than than the next person unless you've walked in their shoes and really gone out and done the work. I don't care who you are. It's not easy. It's not just black and white, which is the problem with this entire field. Exactly. It's not always either or. Sometimes the truth is in that vast gulf in the middle between the two extremes. Yeah. Well, extraordinary claims uh, do require at least um, impressive evidence. Uh, I don't know if it requires extraordinary evidence, but hey, come up with something, man. Everybody's got a cell phone with a camera on it now. Let's get some pictures. Let's get some. Uh, let's take some of that Bigfoot scat and get it tested. Let's let's uh, let's try to apply the the rigors of, of diagnostic science and optical physics and, and, and some of these disciplines that could help us uh, gain a further understanding. Let's let, come on. Come on, we've, we've got a scientist coming up, Dr. Bruce McAbee, joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Hi, this is Steve Spillum for Midas Resources. In 1971, President Nixon took the United States off the gold standard and put us into a fiat currency. This allowed Congress and the Federal Reserve to create trillions of dollars out of thin air. The national debt has risen to incredible heights, and your hard-earned dollars buy a small fraction of what they once did. The average life expectancy for a fiat currency is 27 years. The dollar is failing and on borrowed time. When currencies fall, people turn to gold and silver because gold and silver have been real money for more than 5,000 years. It is our mission at Midas Resources resources to help you preserve your capital. Don't let your personal savings shrink to nothing. For important free information on how you can protect your personal wealth, contact me, Steve Spillum, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Call today while we are still accepting dollars for gold and silver. 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Make a change in your financial security today. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Now you can get the same survival food U.S. Special Forces use on their toughest field missions. High-protein, high-energy, freeze-dried foods known as long-range patrol rations or LERPs. Soldiers love LERP rations. They're lightweight and easy to carry. 
Easy to prepare by just adding water. Easy to enjoy because they taste great. Civilians love LURPS as a solution for emergency preparedness and recreational activities with limited storage space, such as hiking, climbing, sailing, or RV travel. Veteran-owned Freeze-Dry Guy is your exclusive source for this 2013 U.S. military overrun. Long on nutrition, these delicious entrees have a long shelf life, lasting decades. But this rare opportunity, this limited supply, will not last long. You have to act now. Call 866-404-3663, 866-404-FOOD. Or log on now to freezedryguy.com, freezedryguy.com. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Back after several years, Dr. Bruce Maccabee joins Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Bruce, we have a lot of new listeners who really aren't familiar with your work and background. Well, it helps us, too. So let me ask you, first of all, how does a scientist get interested in UFOs? Isn't that something where they kind of look at you and say, what, what is this all about? Well, I guess a lot of scientists take an interest in the subject. The question is, how long is that interest going to last? A number of people start off with the subject and end up spending their time grinding, grinding their wheels against uh, uh, cases that are poorly reported or might even be hoaxes or fabrications or whatever, and then they decide, well, there's nothing to it, and I'm out. However, I guess I was fortunate in the sense that um, aside from reading books back in the 60s and getting intrigued by what was in the books, I was on some case investigations that turned out to be non-trivial in the early 70s, and so that's what kept my interest, and then I got into... um, studying early sightings in the 40s and 50s and even going so far as to read the files of Project Blue Book when they became available on microfilm at the National Archives back in 75. And, of course, I was doing case investigations. I started the McMinnville investigation in 1974. That's been one of the major things that I tackled. And uh, looking back on that, uh, over the years, I guess it was sort of brash of me as a uh, inexperienced guy just barely getting a Ph.D. in physics to tackle a case that was so um, famous and uh, the only one that was endorsed by William Hartman in the Condon Report. 
And uh, when I started investigating that, I decided I, f I figured I'd probably be able to prove that it was a hoax. But the more I looked, the more I saw things that uh, said not hoax. And you can read um, the results of my investigation on my website. So anyway, how does a scientist get interested in the subject? Well, like I said, some of them have gotten temporarily interested and then drop out, but I kept going. There are scientific aspects to UFO studies. Well, obviously, if UFOs were spaceships, visitors from another world, there would be scientific aspects. But should we right. even assume that, or is that just a little too early in this stage? Well, there are scientific aspects to the investigation, which is one of the things that caught my interest as I read books and read uh, history of early sightings and so on, which was that um, very often for us, a very particular, particular sighting, it's fine to be skeptical about sightings and then propose potential solutions, but you should be able to prove that the solution you propose actually fits the uh, available data, at least in a reasonable way. And one thing I was struck, with, struck by was the uh, tendency of uh, severe skeptics to ignore or modify the sighting data in order to make their preferred explanations stick. Most people don't know it, but there's seven explanations have been proposed, I think it was seven, uh, for the Kenneth Arnold sighting, which is the, the first one on record, so to speak. They can't all be right. There has to be one explanation. Okay, but you and said the, seven the, explanations, Bruce. You said several. Several, okay. I said seven. You said seven. I, I don't okay. know if that's the exact number, but the point is that there should be only one. Skeptics seem to act as if the more explanations you can propose, the more likely it is that you've explained the case. You're suggesting, though, that the skeptics would manipulate the facts in order yeah. to come up with any of these seven explanations. How so? Drop out information, reinterpret information, pretend, uh, act as if uh, they were there at the time of the witnesses' sighting and so on. But ignoring certain parts of the information, of course, is one of the key things, or attributing uh, a sighting to a, a mundane cause that just barely fits. And if you go back to the Kenneth Arnold sighting, anybody who's in this subject should be thoroughly familiar with that because that's the one sighting where you can say Kenneth Arnold did not generate his story because he was trying to co because he was a copycat. He was, there was no way for him to copy something that hadn't been reported up to that point, uh, at least publicly. You look at his, uh, you look at the, the official explanation for the Kenneth Arnold sighting is mirage. If you look into that a little bit more, what they're really talking about are mountaintop mirages. Well, now, Kenneth Arnold talked about objects that were traveling from his first sea sighting north of uh, Mount Rainier. He saw them fly past Mount Rainier and southward towards Mount Adams. A mountaintop mirage is a mirage of the peak of the mountain. And guess what? It stays over the peak of the mountain. It doesn't move laterally at all. So you have to totally ignore Arnold's description of these things flying from far left to far right, you have to ignore that in order to be able to even marginally claim that he saw a mirage. That's what I mean by ignoring the data. What about the uh, the explanation that's been proposed that these were actually man-made craft, uh, maybe holdovers from some sort of uh, Nazi technology like the Horton Brothers uh, type uh, design or something like that? Where, where do you come down on that explanation? Well, I don't buy the Nazi UFO theory, first of all. Their capabilities, again, if you go right back to Kenneth Arnold's sighting, you have to understand he gave 
considerable amount of interesting data talking about the angular size compared to something he compared with an airplane that he could see off in the distance to his left. And um, these things, he, he watched his uh, the clock on his dashboard for 102 seconds. It took these objects to go from Mount Rainier to Mount Adams, about 50 miles. That comes out 1,700 miles an hour. There was no Horton disk that could do 1,700 miles an hour. There was nothing that could go that fast. Chuck Yeager, the guy with the, with the right stuff, broke the sound, so-called sound barrier at 700 miles an hour, approximately, in October of 47. That was the fastest man-made thing on Earth. So, again, if you want to accept the Nazi UFO theory for Kenneth Arnold's sighting, you've somehow got to uh, ignore a whole bunch of stuff that Arnold talked about. That being the key of what you just said here, that a lot of these cases where the skeptics come up with answers... They simply manipulate the facts or pretend some things were never said. Right. All right. And Dr. Menzel was a famous scientist. wrote the first scientific book on flying saucers called, oddly enough, Flying Saucers. He had a couple of explanations for Kenneth Arnold's sighting. One was billowing blasts of snow. This is, um, he was talking about snow blowing off the, uh, the, the sides of Mount Rainier and making big puffy clouds of snow. He, did, he argued this in order to explain the bright flashes that uh, Arnold talked about. Now, Arnold talked about flashes like looking at the sun or looking at a welding arc, but um, Menzel simply said, well, these puffs of snow would be quite bright, seen at a distance of 20 miles. Well, they would require a huge wind blowing past Mount Rainier to make sizable puffs of snow. Yeah, traveling 800 miles an hour. (laughs) Yeah, right. Kenneth Arnold flew past Mount Rainier after his sighting, and he had no problem at all with the wind. (laughs) In other words, there weren't any winds strong enough to move billowing blasts of snow uh, 500 miles or 800 miles. And by the way, Menzel Menzel rejected the 1,700-mile-an-hour calculation and said it was probably more like 500 miles an hour, which... Okay, so I need to break it there. Dr. Bruce McAbee joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. We are America's largest independently owned communications network, GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? 
Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now, thanks to Dan Pillow, you can get the tax help you need to end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pillow. I've helped thousands of people reduce or eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. With the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Normal blood pressure, naturally. How would that make you feel? I'm Don from New Mexico. January of 2000, I had a heart attack. Then my real health began going downhill, and I had uh, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, poor vision, and I really wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess, pretty much. Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract. I started taking uh, heart and body extract, and from within a few days, I started sleeping a lot better. My blood pressure uh, normalized, my blood sugar normalized, and uh, my sleep really did improve. Experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of heart and body extract. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Folks, I did not expect this at all. By the 7th, 8th, and ninth day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking heart and body extract. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Donald Menzel, very interesting guy there. I remember he was on a TV show maybe in the late 60s or early 70s. And he was talking about a particular case. And... He just made some general comments, and maybe he was getting on in years. I don't know. We all are getting on in years. But the pro-UFO guy looked at him, started asking him questions, and he practically turned red-faced <laughs> over the specifics. So I could see where he'd say, well, the only way to fit this in is to suggest that the speed estimate had to be wrong. Right. That sounds typical. And Heineck himself was... a. Uh Guilty of that. Heineck 
couldn't accept the idea that these things might be hundreds of feet in size going past Mount Rainier at a long distance and said probably it was up close and it was uh, some 400-mile-an-hour ordinary airplane that uh, Kenneth Arnold saw, a bunch of ordinary airplanes flying by at a, at a speed of 400 miles an hour instead of 1,700 miles an hour, a distance of 20 miles. They were a few, mi- a few miles away and traveling only uh, 400 or something miles an hour. So when you're allowed to modify the data, basically say the witness doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, in some cases, that's true. Plenty of times I've analyzed a bright light in the sky where a person says, it's following me, it's following me, and you find out that it's the, uh, the so-called following phenomenon, that if there's a bright light in the sky that's far enough away and you're traveling, let's say you're traveling north or south and this light is east of you or west of you, as you travel along, it seems to go right along with you. Why? Because of the direction of the sighting line. If you travel on a straight line north, a straight line south, and you're looking off to the left or off to the right and seeing some object there so far away, that um, the angle of sighting with respect to your heading in the car stays the same until you come to a curve in the road or something. And that's the uh, Venus following phenomenon. People see Venus in the evening or something like that, and they're driving along. Uh, a straight stretch of road, and darned if this bright light up there in the sky seems to follow right along. So, in other words, sometimes the witness is, is misreporting or doesn't understand what's what's happening. Very often, they will give the uh, the data correctly, but their interpretation is wrong. The, the job of the um, investigator is to separate the uh, observation from the interpretation. If you get a witness who says that the spaceship was following me as I traveled along. That's his interpretation. You have to get to the actual data itself. Well, what were you look, exactly looking at? Well, it was just uh, the bright light up there. It was so bright. It must have been close. The interpretation, it must have been close. Whereas, right. in fact, you can't really tell the distance of a bright light at night. If the intensity fluctuates a lot, you could say the light is coming through a lot of the atmosphere, and it might be a long distance away. But, of course, somebody looking at Venus and not realizing how bright it can be it can appear very bright. We think it's within a light within a few miles, maybe, but no farther than that. Whereas it's more like uh, some twenty million miles away. <laughs> I've I've had law enforcement uh, a law enforcement officer go up and down a highway uh, chasing after a fixed light on top of a center pivot sprinkler that was blinking. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, an untrained eye can be fooled fairly easily, but. Um, I mean, there there are some cases from back uh, in the 40s and 50s, uh, some photographic cases that, that are pretty impressive. Uh, of course, uh, we have a question here from one of our newbies at forum.theparacast.com, Deadpan Man. And he's interested in your uh, current opinions about the famous uh, Trent photographs uh, from McMinnville, Oregon. I think you did a complete analysis of those back in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think yeah. of these uh Recent allegations that uh, other photographs on that roll showed evidence of a of a thread or something suspending the object, or, and and then I think another article came out about a ladder that was seen right in the same spot where the other photographs were, were taken. There were two pictures on the roll that had the UFO: the picture before and the picture after. The ones before and after were pictures of ordinary scenes, landscape, and people and stuff like that. So there was only two pictures that showed the UFO. And uh, I learned a lot from analyzing that case starting in 1974. Uh, and I actually spoke to Mrs. Trent a number of times, probably a total of about 20 hours worth of conversations with her over a period of a couple of years. 
I couldn't talk to Mr. Trent because he had a, had a hearing aid at the time and uh, didn't like to talk on the telephone. Now, this is back in the 70s to early 80s. I, and on my website, there are two big papers. One of them is totally uh, technical, having to do with uh, the um, William Harmon's method of estimating the distance of the object by looking at how bright the bottom of it was. And another paper, which uh, includes comments about that, but also all, a lot of other aspects to the sighting, including the, the witness descriptions and uh, testimony by other people as to the veracity of the of Mr. and Mrs. Trent. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Trent were finally interviewed on, t on a video about a year before they died. Uh, they died in 1995 and 1996. And about a year before that, there was a guy who uh, videotaped an interview of him. And uh, here in 95, I saw Mrs. Trent uh, talking exactly the same way she did when she, I talked to her on the telephone 20 years earlier. Their stories never changed. Uh, there's been a lot of, uh, I'd say, garbage-type explanations proposed for what they did, starting off with a, a garbage can lid thrown up into the sky. <laughs> was one explanation years ago. Well, I, what I, the, the most fundamental aspect that I discovered was a photo a UFO does not make. A photo of a UFO could prove to the hoax if you analyze the photo and you find a string or some suspension. And of course, that was a done, that sort of a search was made of the trend photos, which have been analyzed by a number of uh, top-notch organizations, including Los Alamos National Laboratory and, uh, and uh, um, Los, Los Alamos Jet Propulsion Laboratory. These people all had uh, high class, uh, highly mo modern back in those days, anyway, a capability for analyzing photos. Of course, I have my own uh, ability to analyze and make measurements and so on. Everybody was searching for strings. Nobody found anything that's conclusive. But it turns out that a, a photo a UFO does not make. A photo, can, uh, a photo can cause the sighting to be rejected if you find something that's clearly evidence of a hoax in the photo. But you could also argue that somebody lucks out and makes a perfect photo with no, no evidence available, no evidence apparent in the photo of a hoax. Um, in which case, the uh, proof or disproof has to fall, fall back on the uh, circumstantial evidence, which includes everything that was happening beforehand and what happened during the sighting and what happened after is a witness testimony, a witness character, and so on. And I concluded that, first of all, I couldn't find any proof that the... Uh, photos were hoaxes, any proof that was in the photos, uh, and then by com comparing their sighting stories and uh, their personalities and so on over years of, of interaction, I concluded the whole thing was real. Yeah, well, th that brings up an interesting point now that uh, we're in the uh, digital. You know, you'll have to give my website out. Uh, so that people can go look, but if you go and search for the McNinville, you'll find two two big two big uh, papers there that will keep you off the streets for a few days. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that brings up a good point, uh, Dr. Maccabee, that in this digital age, it's getting more and more difficult to trust any sort of images that are coming out because of the 
just the amazing abilities that some people are bringing to bear on on hoaxing photographs with digital um, pixelated information and um, it's where do you come down on this? Do you think the digital age is making it more difficult to uh, trust any any photographs? This, this is a question from uh, one of our longtime listeners, Bert State. I'll tell you what, before we do that answer, because we're just about at the end of the segment, we have longtime UFO researcher, Dr. Bruce Maccabee, and he has a site, brewmac.8k.com. That's the right one, right, Bruce? Yes. Okay, if you go there, you'll find more. We'll have it also linked at the Paracast site. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Hey everyone, have you heard about the no-no hair removal device that's sweeping the globe? If you want to go weeks without shaving and get smooth, professional quality results, here's our favorite host Cheryl for no-no hair removal. Thanks. Hey gals, I love talking about my no-no. It's this cute little hair removal system that you can take with you and use almost anywhere at home or on the road. No more expensive in-office treatments, painful waxing, and no more wasting your valuable time. Got unwanted facial hair? No-no has patented Thermacon technology that works on all hair and skin colors, so it's perfect for using on all body parts. And now you can take advantage of this incredible risk-free trial. Get the No-No, the facial kit, a travel case, and a $100 discount shopping card, and you don't risk a penny to try it. Try the incredible No-No hair completely risk-free. Call 1-800-953-6062. That's 800-953-6062. 800-953-6062. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for under $30,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet under $30,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 
buy 100-foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Take delivery in spring. 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even if I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal. Dr. Bruce McAbee joins Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Before we did our requisite break, as we got to do every you know nine to ten minutes or so, Chris was asking a rather long question. Bruce, you had any further comments? about the modern situation with digital duplicity, you might say. (laughs) Yeah, it makes it easier. Yeah, a person who knows nothing about photo analysis and stuff like that can go to an application that will deposit a nice little UFO picture right into uh, any background scene you want to photograph. Back in the old days, it was tougher because uh, you actually had to know something about how the photographic process worked to make something convincing. Uh, double exposure, for example, where you uh, expose some bright UFO, for example, you go into your bathroom where it's all dark, you have a UFO that's brightly lit, and you take a photograph of it. You have to have a camera where you can back the film up, or a camera where you can take a picture without having it move the film. Then you go outside and you take a second photograph on the same piece of film, and now you've got a bright UFO if you have a dark, a dark sky at night or enough, enough light so you can see some surroundings to give the picture some background foot information. When you develop a picture, you have this bright UFO up in the sky maybe, if you're, if you're clever with it. And um, there are other things you can do. But the, the bottom line always is you could have a perfectly fake, a perfect fake, or you could have a, a real photograph just by looking at the photograph, you don't necessarily know if, the, if, the, if it's a perfect fake. You have to look at all the background stuff. Many of the photos that have come over and come out and uh, publicized in the last 10 or 15 years have been published, essentially published by anonymous. That is, you don't know who the, who the cameraman is. That means you can't go and interview him. There was a series of photos by a guy who called himself Chad five or six years ago. What was that? The Chad uh, uh, photos of something that looked like a 
ceiling fan almost, the blades on it. And uh, so far, talking about the California drone, supposed drone yeah, photographs, right, back, the, yeah. the Chad drones. That's what I was trying to think of, right? Uh, whether that turned out to be a publicity stunt or not, I can't recall. Mufon never, as far as I recall, Mufon was never able to get a hold of the uh, actual photographer. There were supposedly several, several people in different parts of the country who had seen the same thing, but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that it was actual, actually real. It could have been a setup. And so, as far as photos are going, I go. You, you still have to have all the background stuff, and it has to be self-consistent. And if it turns out that the photographer is a Steven Spielberg special effects guy, you may as well forget it. Even if he did see a real UFO, nobody believe him. <laughs> Worse, Bruce, is you don't need to have a special effects guy from Industrial Light and Magic or Digital Domain or any of these other companies. With low-cost video editing applications and Photoshop and these really high-end cameras for very little money, you can do wonders. So it goes right back to the same thing again. you got to go back to the witness. Yep, that's exactly what I was saying. In Another, the Trent uh, case, for example, in the Trent case, for example, you can argue, well, they were fortunate. They picked a thread that was the color of the background. Uh, one might imagine a, a white or a grayish thread it was the same color of the background, so it's hanging by a thread, all right, but you can't see it because there's, you can only see in photography or even in your eyeball, whatever, you can only see things that are contrasty. If there's no contrast, you can't see it. So if they had used a, a black thread, maybe you could see a black thread against a, uh, a sort of a brightish uh, distant scene, uh, the uh, horizon at, at sunset. Um, but if they use a white thread, um, it wouldn't have enough contrast to be able to be seen. It'd be some, it would be tiny to begin with, and a tiny image uh, width-wise, a tiny, a tiny image width-wise for the thread. And then if it's the same color as the background, you'd have zero chance of seeing it. So they could have been lucky. Uh, one can always argue they could have been lucky, and uh, there's no evidence that's uh, available in the film and the photos. They have to look at all the other stuff. And as I said, I got into deeply all the other stuff that went on, uh, their story and so on, and uh, ultimately concluded they were telling the truth. Just one fast question here. With so many people running around with really good cameras, being the ones in their smartphones or iPhones, whatever, why don't we see more potentially real UFO pictures now than we ever did? Because people are too busy looking down, texting. <laughs> That's one reason, maybe. Well, we do have, we do have a lot of stuff. Uh, I get a couple of things every every week, I guess, or sometimes a couple of day to look at, and uh, I just don't have time for everything. And a lot of people they go by their own interpretation of what they saw, and they say, "I saw a UFO. Here's the story behind my sighting, and here's the video." And I look at it, and it shows a bright light, but so what? <laughs> I can't. There's not much I can do with it. Um, if you have super high resolution, now there's some people who take super high resolution pictures uh, under controlled circumstances. Uh, a guy I know, Wilbur Allen, for example, was taking some interesting stuff. Um, but uh, the typical one is somebody taking a low resolution oh, cam camera. I have to say that um, video cameras and, and cell phones are, are getting quite good. 
they can't match the, the super expensive uh, regular cameras, but they're getting quite good. But I just got one today from a guy who says uh, he's been looking at it. He thinks he's got a UFO, and so I look at it. And he's got a small, bright image there. There's nothing you can really tell about it. You can't talk about shape. You, you've got to have some angular size to the object before you can start talking about shape and, uh, and learning any characteristics of the object itself, other than the fact that it's got some brightness to it. And most of these photos you see online, YouTube, whatever, just lights in the sky. Yeah. And when you see something that's got definite shape and angular size, you immediately become suspicious. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah and, and, and that, Almost, this is... The, the old adage is if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Well, let's talk about a, a high-res picture uh, that was snapped by the Costa Rican military in 1971 uh, in northern Costa Rica. It's a very famous photograph. It was featured in uh, one of Jacques Vallée's books. Uh, recently, um, an analyst came forward with the, uh, with the observation that if you turn the picture upside down, it looks exactly like the reflecting part of a flashlight. Uh, where do you come down on the Costa Rican uh, well, picture? Here, in this situation, you have an airplane flying along doing a geographical survey photos. It's just automatically taking pictures as it travels along. Is somebody going to say that this photo was not taken that way? Well, uh, because that's what I think there's a problem with the evidence chain, though, isn't it? This thing didn't come forward until 73, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, it would be checkable because it was it was presumably one 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 frame out of a uh, long film of frames of pictures one after another. Uh, I can remember Heinrich talking about it, and he even gave me a uh, about a foot square blow up, or maybe it was even bigger than that. In any case, um, you'd have to prove the story of how this photo was taken. It was basically a, a complete fabrication, a fake. And um, that, in principle, could be done by going to Costa Rica, looking up the original uh, strip, film strip, and seeing if this photo is there. For, for someone to say it was a flashlight, he, uh, the person can't really do, do more than say, well, I think it was, and, uh, and, and therefore I'm going to ignore the picture. It always depends on your interpretation of something and what you're going to do with it. Right. Your interpretation of everything is it's all fake. Then you're going to go someone go and do something else. If you run into something that isn't isn't clearly a fake, maybe you'll spend some time with it and uh, learn something. Well, that when Costa I heard Rica, that, that Costa Rica photo, so far as I know, is legitimate. The story is it was taken. It was on a film strip uh, taken by geological geographical survey airplane that was just flying along taking pictures, and after they looked at the pictures. One by one, they found this one with a strange image on it, which for uh, for everything. Uh, so so like we know that this image like coming up out of, coming out from one dimension into our dimension or something like that. It looks like well, the well, left edge of it is uh, hardly there. All right, Chris has a comment to make, and we'll hold that comment till our next segment. We'll also be getting to some more of your questions. Dr. Bruce Maccabee joins us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. It's no secret that silver is one of the oldest known natural antibiotics, but the mainstream media will never tell we the people this information. Why? Many drug companies and politicians have dangerous alliances that manipulate the way we live by prescribing drugs that only manage disease, keeping us dependent on big pharma. And with Obamacare at our doorstep, we are now forced into a system that many of us do not want any part of. And no man or government has the right to dictate how we as free people choose to take care of our health. The patriots at utopiasilver.com hold this truth dear. Colloidal and ionic silver supplements from utopiasilver.com open the door to a whole new world of natural healing for the body and the mind. Visit utopiasilver.com and discover the safe and effective health benefits of colloidal and ionic silver. Call 888-213-4338. 888-213-4338 and talk to the patriots at utopiasilver.com, a leading source of natural healing using colloidal silver, colloidal gold, minerals, vitamins and herbs. utopiasilver.com Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're talking about photos, photographic evidence, whether they are credible or not. A little bit later, we'll cover the Gulf Breeze case. Lots of listener questions on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. So... Dr. Bruce Maccabee made some long comments about his investigations. Chris had a response. Chris? I have turned this picture upside down, and it does. It, it looks remarkably like the inside of a uh, sort of a, a conical or concave uh, flashlight uh, reflector around a bulb. And from what I understand from this, uh, this recent analysis, that there is a problem with the evidence chain, that the actual word of this photograph, it took two years for it to... To, to, to actually be publicized, basically, and that uh, there is some question of whether this picture was actually seen initially when they went through the through the uh, the the original photographs when they were developed. Now, I I, I understand that uh, Dr. Haynes, uh, Richard Haynes, has done quite a bit of work on this photograph, and 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 uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée. But, uh, you know, if you turn that picture upside down and look at it, it looks remarkably like a superimposed reflection from the inside of a flashlight. <laughs> it really does. It fools the eye because it's, uh, 
your eye just assumes that the actual shape is conical and that it's actually uh, going from the rim upwards uh, towards the top of a of a slight uh, dome. But if you turn it upside down, it, boy, it looks just like a flashlight reflector. Yeah, well, I'm aware of that argument, I'm, and I looked at it myself. As I said, to be able to prove that was true, first of all, you've got to prove that the photo was not taken the way, the way it supposedly was taken. I suppose you could argue that somebody tried to make a double exposure by using the real, the real original photo as a background scene and then taking a photograph of that and then photographing a, uh, a flashlight somehow uh, in the lower corner of it. But until somebody comes up with proof that it was taken, that, that there's not a legitimate photo, I think you have to say that it's got something, it appears to have some anomaly on it. It's not well, like a uh, flashlight going... suddenly appeared under the airplane. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, somebody would have to have access to the original negative and, and superimpose, yeah. so double expose the the picture. Right. But what, where do you come down on on the three best photographic cases? I mean, you have looked at literally thousands and thousands of photographs and and probably hundreds of of uh, bits of footage, uh, video and film. As an optical physicist, uh, what are your three or four top favorite cases? I like uh, McMinnville, of course, and um, I like um, the Childer Hose photo, which is a bright thing in clouds. The only photograph endorsed by Philip Class, by the way. Uh, do tell. Used, How used did he coat. endorse this? Roger Childer Hose is a Canadian Air Force pilot. He was flying with three, two or three other pilots. He went from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, in F-86, I think it was. Uh, I don't recall exactly now, but the point is, the next day he was he was going to uh, fly back from the West Coast to the East Coast as part of a uh, speed run to see if they could set a record. Well, as they're flying out towards the West, he sees this very bright object, shiny metallic thing. What he described does not show up in the picture. What shows up in the picture is a very bright oval sort of image. Uh, he describes seeing something that looks like a quarter or a nickel right in the lee uh, of a uh, big thundercloud. He was trying flying around 40,000 feet, and he thought this thing might have been 30, 20, or 30,000 feet. So he sees this thing that looks like a coin. He had a camera with him that he was planning to take some pictures at their speed run. He takes a picture of it, and that's been... Uh, analyzed quite a bit uh, ever, ever since then. As I said, it's the only picture that's endorsed by Philip Class, and he, he argued that this big blobby image, and you can see it on my website, was in fact a uh, gigantic uh, ball lightning. This was back in the his ball lightning phase of uh, UFO explanations, which he, he emphasized in his first book, UFOs um, Identified. Six years later, he published a book called UFOs Explained, and didn't even refer to his first book. So it's as if the second book was written in a vacuum. Okay, ball lightning. Now, we heard those explanations back in the 1950s with regard to UFOs. Right. Explain to our listeners what ball lightning is supposed to be and why it can't be what is... Appears to be a UFO. It can't be, because, it can't be because it can't be. It can't even exist because nobody knows how it can exist. There have been a lot of theories. Sometimes observation trumps theory. There have been observations by all sorts of people for over hundreds of years of ball lightning. I even have an observation from my grandmother. 
it's it's a contained self-contained glowing volume of, of air you might say that it can move around there's a report as I, as I recall from reading years ago of a ball lightning coming into a the cockpit of an airplane and traveling right down the aisle and then exploding at the back end of the airplane my grandmother's story was she was trapped in a uh Thunderstorm. She was in the in the barn in a thunderstorm in uh, Nova Scotia. This would have been uh, way back in uh, about 1900, I guess. And she said uh, there was a lot of lightning and so on. And all of a sudden, in from the big the big barn front barn doors that were open, this ball comes in. Now, there was a big hay rake in there. She said this is one of those things with curved tines that would be drawn by a horse or a tractor to drag along the ground and pick up the hay. So this has got a whole series of maybe 20 or so curved metal tines that have a radius of curvature of uh, six inches to a foot, I guess. I don't know, but the point is that she said the ball came and it hit the first tine on this rake and went bing, 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 all the way down to the other end of the rake, went bing, bing, turned, reversed its direction, bing, 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 back to the first one, bounced off the first one, and then exploded, at which point she decided she didn't care if she got wet or not, she was going to run into the house, which she did. <laughs> but can I say, Grandma, you're lying. This is a complete fabrication because ball lightning does not exist. Well, now, ball lightning has been reported that typical sizes are less than a foot. Typical sizes are inches and stuff like that. The ball lightning that uh, Philip Class was claiming that um, uh, Hose saw would have been hundreds of feet in size. Nobody in their right mind would ever argue that ball lightning could be that big because no. there haven't been any there haven't been any observations. People are still trying to come up with theories. Even recently, in the last few months, there's been some publications on uh, theories of ball lightning. And the most recent one is that uh, I've seen uh, on the internet uh, that lightning strikes the ground and creates a uh, metal in the ground. Dirt, yeah, right. Um, some some one of the reports talking about uh, ball lightning comes from the dirt. Somehow this stuff gets ionized and creates, maintains its ionization. There's a story of a ball lightning that fell into a a, a barrel, a, a 50 gallon barrel of water, I think it was, and uh, caused it to boil. And that gives everybody some handle on how much energy there must be in this lightning ball. Huge. Yeah. I, well, I had a the interesting thing about ball lightning is it's a UFO. <laughs> it can't well, I had a sighting. I had a sighting of ball lightning. Oh yeah, uh, you're, and, you're and, a liar. No, I'm not. It, it's uh, lightning Stop struck right the ground. Now. Don't tell me. <laughs> and then the bottom and top of the bolt coalesced in in the middle and hung as a ball of a brilliant light for a split second and then blinked out. Mm. It's like the the lightning bolt. Compressed into a ball that was, I don't um, know. How close is this to you? Um, less than two miles. Uh huh. Oh. If it was even that big, I was thinking, you know, a distance of 10, 20, 30, 40 feet. People talk about ball lightning going along fences, uh, along a, a wire fence. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of reports of ball lightning, hundreds of them. And as I said, nobody figured out how it manages to exist. Yeah, but a lot of people have right. confused ball lightning and so-called orbs. Right. I get lots of pictures of people presenting pictures of orbs. Yeah. I have well, on my website 
<laughs> an uh, paper devoted to the uh, what I call flash orb. Before we find out what that means, we got more to come with Dr. Bruce McAbee with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Hi, this is Steve Spillum for Midas Resources. In 1971, President Nixon took the United States off the gold standard and put us into a fiat currency. This allowed Congress and the Federal Reserve to create trillions of dollars out of thin air. The national debt has risen to incredible heights, and your hard-earned dollars buy a small fraction of what they once did. The average life expectancy for a fiat currency is 27 years. The dollar is failing and on borrowed time. When currencies fall, people turn to gold and silver because gold and silver have been real money for more than 5,000 years. It is our mission at Midas Resources resources to help you preserve your capital. Don't let your personal savings shrink to nothing. For important free information on how you can protect your personal wealth, contact me, Steve Spillum, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Call today while we are still accepting dollars for gold and silver. 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. Make a change in your financial security today. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 308. We travel so much, and having a fake TV, well, it gives added peace of mind. Burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets. But fake TV can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television. As a recent widow living alone, it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake TV near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching TV when I'm actually away from home. Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet, just like a light on a timer. And they're so easy to use, you just plug them in and they're ready to go. Plus, they're so affordable that we have one upstairs and downstairs. Fake TV is only $29.95 with free shipping. Order your fake TV by calling 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. That's 877-532-5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. There are many things the human body can do very well, but maintaining the proper pH level isn't always one of them. That's where AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops can make a world of difference. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps your body do what's natural. Just a few drops a day helps rid your body of harmful waste and acid while promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Alkalizing boosts your immune system and can help fight headaches, irritability, cramping, and insomnia. Alkalizing also helps the body fight depression and even bone loss. To learn 
more about the importance of alkalizing and how you can find life-changing and vital balance, please visit AlkaVision's brand new website at AlkaVision.com. Same great products, but now easier to use and more informative than ever before. To get your very own plasma pH drops for just $29.95, call 800-518-7615 or visit AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Alkalize your body and supercharge your health at the new AlkaVision.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, we have Dr. Bruce McAbee. We're talking about photographic evidence of UFOs. And you were referring to something on your website? Yeah, on my website. Um, or Flash orbs. These <laughs> first came into being, you might say, or first noticed in the late 90s, 90, the latter half of the 90s. I got some pictures from uh, some people who said, well, we went out into a area where there was a, a, a cemetery, and uh, we started taking flash pictures and looked at all these bright ghost images we've got. The, the orb creatures are, are abundant. I didn't know what the heck was going on. And this guy sends me a, this is back in 97, 98, 99 time frame, I forget exactly. He sends me some pictures. He says, I just got myself a new camera. He's not somebody who's into the, into the orb aspect of it. He said, I got myself a new camera, and I took some pictures of my kids, flash pictures, and I get these bright spots of light um, in my picture, and I'm wondering if my camera's bad. So I... Uh, couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. The first time you see these images, you're, you're, you're stumped, you might say. So I suggested, well, maybe he had a light leak in his camera. He ought to put tape around various edges and do other experiments and see if he can generate these uh, orbs intentionally by uh, letting light get into the camera somewhere or other. Now, a week or so later, I got some... Put, comments back from him and he said, well, I was taking pictures of my kids again. They were jumping up and down on the ground, on the rug, and the more they jumped, the more these lights, these little round images came out. And that took me about four, four microseconds to realize what was going on. The flash was hitting little teeny particles of dust in the atmosphere very close to the lens. Very close to the lens means they're out of focus. The size of the image that you get, these or for those of you who have made orb images with flash, the size of the image you get depends on the distance of the thing and how bright the, uh, the flash is. I figured that these have been around, the orb images could have been photographed dozens of years ago, but back in the old days there was a considerable distance, many inches of separation between where the flash was and where the camera lens was. Typically you, you would hold, a, they even had flash attachments that were on wires uh, so that you could hold the flash a considerable distance away from the camera. But these new cameras that they came out with in the 80s and 90s and so on, especially the digital ones, have a bright flash that's only like one inch from the lens. That means that anything that's within a couple of inches of the lens on the lens axis is going to get hit by that flash. And being very short, close to the lens, it'll be out of focus. So the net result is what I call flash orbs. In fact, particulate matter that get in the way of the uh, 
that are close to the lens and illuminated. It doesn't have to be by a flash. You can have a ray of sunlight or a searchlight beam or a flashlight beam going past the lens and hitting little particulate, particulate matter, little particles, and that can be enough to uh, make orb images. So for all the people who talk about orbs, you have to be careful that um, you're not talking about flash orbs. And I have reports of true, what I would call true orbs. You can see them without a flash. In other words, they are sources of light, not just reflectors. But the flash orbs, you have to be careful of. There may be some anomalous things out there being picked up by the flash, but a lot of it is going to be just dust. People who go to a, a cemetery, stand at the edge of the cemetery, for example, and they may be near a road where there's cars going by and a, a lot of dust in the air. Or you can see this effect in a snowstorm, you know. If you go on my website and read the website, you'll see that there's people have argued that the flash orbs must be a long distance away and big because they appear to be behind something. But in fact, you can get uh, what looks like a piece of an image of a flash orb that seems to be behind some bright object, whereas in fact it's very still close to the lens, but the image has been wiped out by the distant, more distant uh, bright object. You'd have to go and look at my website to see what I'm talking about exactly. But the bottom line is these flash orbs are almost always, perhaps always, no particulate matter close to the lens. Chris, why don't we continue with some questions? We've got so many. Yeah, I, I, before we, uh, we go to more questions, I, I do want to comment that uh, this has been, especially in the New Age community, these orbs have taken on a life of their own. And I don't know how many times I've had to patiently try to explain to people that they're looking at out-of-focus particulate matter close to the well, lens beam. Look, look at my website. You'll find yeah. uh, I can't think of where... Orb1.html, I think it's brumac.8k.com slash orb1.html might take you right to it. Yeah, there are real orb photographs in terms of uh, in relation to how many of these, um, you know, misidentified orb photos or flash orbs, as you call them. Uh, the, the the percentage is extremely small compared to the thousands and thousands of pictures I've seen of these flash orbs, but there are some pretty interesting shots, including one that was taken uh, with me present uh, with a very multicolored orb that was uh, quite large and quite well-defined, not one of your typical out-of-focus orbs. And uh, also we happened to see uh, just uh, minutes later a strange kind of wiggling worm that was uh, seemed to be kind of self-lit that was wiggling around through the air that we got photographs of. Huh. That was not an orb, and I, I do think that there are real orb photographs. What, what would be your interpretation? What are these objects if they are real? Well, I don't know, but I have on my website a analysis of a picture I call Red Ball Oregon. Red Ball Oregon. This would have been a red orb had it been taken. The photo had been taken at night, but it was taken during the daytime. The guy was out in the backyard taking some pictures in the daytime, and he takes a picture of a the base of a tree, as I recall, or a bush or something. And lo and behold, as he's about to take the picture, he notices this reddish glow coming. And he takes the picture, and it shows this roughly round red area, which he says then rose upwards and went up out of sight. <laughs> it was a dynamic thing that moved. And you can read my analysis of that. He would ask me uh, three or some number of best pictures. I talk about McMinnville, 
I talked about the Tuberose photo. Uh, I also like Skylab 3. Uh, again, a, a series of photos of some reddish object that was in outer space. There aren't any red objects in outer space. We have no doubt that where the pictures were taken and who took them, it's not a fake, whatever it was. The first three photos show this dot red, and the fourth photo shows a structured image. The skeptics have tried to explain the structure as a result of camera motion, but the camera was running at a shutter speed of 250 of a second or something like that. Um, no way you could get this much motion out of a camera at, in such a short time. There's some, there was something going on. And, and even if you just look at the color itself, there's nothing that they could have photographed through the uh, window of the Skylab. There's nothing they could have photographed that would have appeared red. Right. Unless it was a, unless it was at the sun, right at the uh, edge of sunset or sunrise, um, where you could get reddening of the sun, in, in illuminating something and that would look reddish. But they said they were nowhere near sunset time that this photo was taken. So there was no reason for whatever it was to appear red. We're going to get red, or our sponsors are going to get red if we don't break. We have Dr. Bruce McAbee joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy bodies products from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. 
Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. It's no secret that silver is one of the oldest known natural antibiotics, but the mainstream media will never tell we the people this information. Why? Many drug companies and politicians have dangerous alliances that manipulate the way we live by prescribing drugs that only manage disease, keeping us dependent on big pharma. And with Obamacare at our doorstep, we are now forced into a system that many of us do not want any part of. And no man or government has the right to dictate how we as free people choose to take care of our health. The patriots at utopiasilver.com hold this truth dear. Colloidal and ionic silver supplements from utopiasilver.com open the door to a whole new world of natural healing for the body and the mind. Visit utopiasilver.com and discover the safe and effective health benefits of colloidal and ionic silver. Call 888-213-4338. 888-213-4338. And talk to the patriots at utopiasilver.com, a leading source of natural healing using colloidal silver, colloidal gold, minerals, vitamins, and herbs. Utopiasilver.com. This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have Dr. Bruce Maccabee. We've been talking about various phenomena that sometimes is mistaken for UFOs or maybe doesn't exist, like ball lightning. We talked about the photographs, but one of the key cases, Bruce, that you got involved with was the one in Gulf Breeze, Florida. Series of sightings down there. Can you give us the background of how you got involved and what you learned from it? Well, yes, but I'd rather I'd rather mention uh, as one of the things I like the New Zealand case from December 1978, and uh, we could talk about that some more. But that's the only case that I'm familiar with. The only UFO case out of the millions that may exist which has been argued out in the refereed technical press. Uh, articles appeared in a journal called Applied Optics on this one, one portion of this particular series of sightings. Now, you're talking about the film footage that was taken by the news crew? The film, film footage, but they had much more than film footage. They had the uh, ground radar, they had the ground radar, the uh, air traffic control center, well, Wellington Air Traffic Control Center, audio tape, which uh, allows you to nail down when things happen in these in these sightings. You had an audio tape by a reporter on the port of the airplane. You had a cameraman filming with 16-millimeter color movie. You had the pilot, the co-pilot, and actually two reporters that were involved. In other words, there's a multiple witness sighting. The only the only case that I know of is it's a multiple witness sighting with color movie film and radar all at the same time and tape recordings to help you uh, put the thing together. So we could talk about that later if you want. Let's talk about that. What what have you determined from analyzing that footage and analyzing the um, you know a complete set of uh, of corroborating data? Well, uh, there was something strange going on. It began 
to understand how this situation came about, you have to start off with uh, October 1978, uh, 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 the disappearance of Frederick Valentich and his little airplane off the coast of uh, um, off over the Bass Strait, off the coast of uh, uh, Australia near Melbourne. Frederick Valentich, the disappearance of Valentich is, uh, keeps popping up over the years. Nobody knows whatever happened to him. They never found any wreckage for his airplane. There was a TV producer in Channel O in Melbourne, what was then Channel O, now Channel 10, a TV producer who was really surprised and impressed by the amount of attention that the UFO story associated with the Flemish's disappearance got. Then uh, in December 2021 of, uh, or 21-22 of uh, 1978, there were sightings by pilots flying nighttime flights of uh, uh, freight freighter aircraft off the coast, of, off the east coast of uh, the South Island of New Zealand. And these sightings involved ground radar as well as uh, multiple witness sightings on the ground and uh, in the air. And they were written up in the New Zealand press and publicized also in Australia. So there were some news UFOs. UFO stories from the December 21, 22 sightings that were publicized and generated interest in the subject again. And this producer guy in Channel All thought, well, why not do a little uh, documentary on those sightings uh, to show on New Year's Eve uh, to increase our um, viewership. So he calls up a, a reporter who worked at Channel O, but was a native New Zealander in New Zealand for, over the Christmas vacation and told him why well, he'd put together a little documentary on the previous sightings. This would be a guy named Quentin Fogarty, the reporter. And so Quentin uh, hires a cameraman and a, camera, and a sound recordist, the cameraman and his wife, and uh, arranges to interview the uh, air traffic controllers at the uh, air traffic control center and also pilots involved. And he's done all this stuff, and he manages also to get himself on one of the actual aircraft to refly the flight, sort of as a, uh, a background for the uh, for this uh, little documentary, and he plans to have himself standing up to do two stand-ups in the belly of the aircraft on top of a whole bunch of newspapers that the aircraft is carrying. And um, he has a cameraman down there, and the sound recordist is recording him, and he stand, does this stand-up, which says, we're now flying along the uh, route they had uh, two weeks ago, uh, and they saw stuff, and we're going to keep our eyes open. He was planning to do another stand-up that would have at, at Christ Church, where the plane was heading for from Wellington to Christ Church to deliver newspapers. He was planning to uh, do a second stand-up on the belly aircraft, saying, "Well, we've flown through the area and we had, didn't see anything, but uh, wait till you hear what we're going. I'm going to tell you about the uh, previous sightings of radar visual guys." He never got to do the second stand-up. The captain and co pilot and co-pilot, as they flew south from Wellington, started seeing lights appearing and disappearing off the coast of a place called Kaikoura on the east coast of the South Island of New Zealand. And these lights would come on and it looked like a beam would go down to the surface and then the light would go, disappear and appear again somewhere else. The pilot said it looked to him like a search operation going on, but he didn't know what the heck was going on. What was on. They... Uh, called up the Wellington Air Traffic Control Center and asked if they had any targets in that area. And this was about 20, pilot, 20 miles from the airplane at the time. And the Wellington Air Traffic Control says, we do have targets appearing and disappearing. 
So for for the next uh, half an hour, approximately, they took the airplane to fly to Christchurch. Anomalous things happened. The, the airplane saw lights. The, air, the radar saw radar targets. Sometimes there was a correlation. At one point, something got so close to the airplane that the radar target doubled in size, according to the air traffic controller. At which time, the, uh, the uh, news reporter looked out the side of the aircraft and saw this flashing light uh, that seemed to be traveling along with them. Then they landed at Christchurch, and the reporter decided to go back. And the airplane had to fly back north along the coast through the same area they had just come in order to go to its home base in a place called Blenheim in the north end of the South Island. As they're leaving the airplane, as they take off from Christchurch, now heading north, previously they were heading south, now heading north, they see this very bright light appearing, and the cameraman starts filming. And this is a section of the film that was shown mostly on uh, TV at the time, there was an extremely bright light, and uh, out of the film images, I was able to deduce the, the, the brightness of this light. It was equivalent to uh, a couple hundred thousand watts of uh, electric light if you were to generate this model light with electricity. Uh, and it, it obviously moved with respect to the aircraft. At one time, it was traveling faster than the aircraft was traveling. It was. It has been identified. I put in quotes. Identified as a squid boat, but if it was, it was the world's fastest squid boat, able to able to uh, fish from a distance of uh, altitude above 3,000 feet. Anyway, uh, I, I spent a considerable amount of time analyzing this. I actually took a trip uh, to uh, New Zealand and Australia to talk to all the witnesses. And I got copies of the film. I actually had the original film in my house for a period of time. I got copies of the film and uh, to analyze, and I spent hundreds of hours on it. I, would, I spent hundreds of hours on it and uh, concluded that they, these lights or film could not be explained. Uh, you didn't see a lot of structure or whatever. You couldn't tell what it was, but you could tell that it wasn't supposed to be there. It was a real UFO, and I wrote an article, a short article that appeared in this journal, Applied Optics. Uh, scientists in New Zealand who didn't believe in the results of my analysis came up with an explanation, that this thing was a squid boat, and then I, and so they published a short article saying it was a squid boat, and I published a rebuttal saying that this, if it were true, the squid boat had to move. So anyway... That's a very brief version of the New Zealand stuff, and there's a lot yeah, of that. That debunking sounds a little fish to me. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of big articles out on my website. Yeah, well, let's uh, move on to Gulf Breeze. Uh, of course, this is a quite a a famous case that uh, many people, even with just a peripheral knowledge of uh, of UFOs and ufology, are aware of. Of course, it was a best-selling book uh, by Ed Walters. Why don't you give us some background about the case and uh, how much, uh, uh, when in the process you actually got involved? I'll tell you what, we will learn about Gulf Breeze in our next segment with Dr. Bruce McAbee. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. 
the site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and re-cleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. You have all seen and heard about the elements of the periodic table. These elements are the building blocks of everything in the universe. You, my friends, are made from these elements. A shortage of any of these important trace elements can lead to disease. Go with the science and take the Lady Talk Health Challenge and get all 90 essential trace elements with a healthy start pack at LadyTalkLive.com or call 855-333-LADY. That's 855-333-5239. Research shows it's not just what you put in your body that counts, it's what you put on it as well. Why not use an all-natural, healthy, mineral-based makeup that actually benefits your skin? Once you experience the airiness and flawless coverage of Longevity Mineral Makeup, you will never use anything else. With Longevity, the perception of your complexion will be natural perfection. Animal-friendly mineral makeup at Mary Lou Health. That's M-A-R-I-L-U-Health.com. Or call 855-321-HEALTH. 
this is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So now Dr. Bruce Maccabee will begin to tell us in the final five segments of this episode about Gulf Breeze, and he'll answer some more of your questions about his research. Bruce? Well, this is a very complicated case because this is not just, of all people remember, mostly uh, Ed Walters and his photographs. This involves literally hundreds of other people as well. It's not just like in the New Zealand case that if you understood what happened within an hour's uh, time frame, you understood what was going on. Here we've got sightings that occur over the years, starting in uh, November of 1987 uh, and running up into the middle 90s, with Ed's last photograph being uh, in 97, I think. Anyway, November 11th, 1987 was a... Uh, they will live in infamy. Aside from the fact that I knew nothing about what was going on in Gulf Breeze, Florida at the point, I was more taken by the fact that we had a foot of snow in the Washington, D.C. area on November 11th, that would be Veterans Day in uh, 1987. So at the same time I was freezing in New York City with a hot time UFO-wise in Gulf Breeze. It begins at 2.30 in the morning with a uh, dog it wants to go out, wakes up its master, a lady by the name of Billy Zama, who's the wife of a uh, Navy admiral. And um, she thinks the dog wants to go out for the obvious reason, a typical reason. And so she takes the dog to the back door, and, but the dog, instead of running out onto the lawn, when it goes out the door, it looks up and starts barking. So she looked up, but it didn't start barking. Instead, she just was stunned to see this bright light up above and some object uh, with a clear shape. She could see this thing because the the moon was full that night, and um, it was lending, it was lighting up this object that was hundreds of feet above her, and uh, had a beam of blue light coming down, hitting a dock. Uh, they lived on a, one of these canals in the Florida area. We're talking about Gulf Breeze, Florida. It's flat there and sandy, and uh, we're very close to the Gulf of Mexico. So anyway, she sees this object. Uh, with a beam coming down, and she said in her report, her first thought was, they're coming to take my dog. And she <laughs> turned around took the dog back into the house, and she thought, I'll, I'll tell somebody about it tomorrow when I go wake up. The next day, she decided against telling anybody. And she wouldn't have told anybody if it hadn't been for pictures that were published a week later, Ed's pictures. So anyway, that was that's how it began. Then there was a sighting at 8 o'clock in the morning by a guy who was out in the road, and he saw this strange object uh, hovering, and a couple of jet planes came flying along and uh, um, like they were chasing it, and it zipped off faster than they were going. Then there was another sighting uh, in the evening by a guy and his wife who were, um, the guy who was the former editor of the local weekly newspaper, the, okay, oh, the Gulf Breeze Sentinel was the name of the, the uh, weekly newspaper. He had been the editor of it. He and his wife saw this object uh, traveling through the sky at about 6 o'clock. There were a couple other sightings, and then uh, the last one, I guess, that night was in the evening. Ed Walters was sitting at his desk, which had a window that looked to the north, I believe. And he saw this strange object approaching him, approaching his house. 
and he got up and he uh, went out of the front door to look at it more carefully. He realized it was really a strange thing, and he thought his first thought was to try to call the police. But the second thought was that they, the, it'll be gone. It's moving, so it'll be gone by the time the police get here. Take a picture. So he ran and got a, a, a camera that he used to take photos. He was a, ho- a house builder, a general contractor for building houses, and he would take these Polaroid pictures of the houses in various stages of development for, for record-keeping purposes. So he grabbed his Polaroid camera, which is an old type of Polaroid, where you take a picture, then you pull a tab out uh, paper from the camera that pulls the exposed picture, and it pulls on a roll that's in the camera of the exposed, of developer. And the camera actually automatically presses the developer against the picture, and you leave it in the camera for 60 seconds. And the picture develops, and you open the back of the camera, and the picture is on perforated paper. You pull the perforated paper out, and you got yourself a uh, instant, what was then considered an instant picture. Don't find any of that stuff nowadays because, of course, you get instant pictures from with electronic cameras. Anyway, he takes a he he took a, a series of pictures. He tried to get one picture where he was underneath the camera, underneath the object itself, as it was hovering over the road. And uh, after taking his fifth picture, he gets he's going to take another one. And uh, all of a sudden, he's in, in finds himself immersed in a. He said it was like encased in concrete. He couldn't move anything, and everything looked sort of bluish to him. Uh, and uh, the images of stuff were going through his head, a very complicated description of what he's read, written down in his book. And all of a sudden, he's falling downwards as if he had been dropped. He lands on the road face down, turns over and looks up, and there's nothing there except a small airplane way off in the distance. And he um, picks himself up off the road, wondering what the hell had just happened. And he sees these pictures that he has been taking. He didn't bother to wait for the pictures to develop a minute. He had ripped them out, ripped out these pictures. Uh, and uh, he walked over and picked up the pictures, and sure enough, here's the object that he had just seen. His wife came home. She had been shopping. She came home at that point, and... Um, he told her uh, what what had happened, and she didn't know whether to believe him or not. But it was clear that uh, he was very distraught, and he had a strange odor about him. Well, that sort of began the situation for Ed. As far as the other people are concerned, they would not have told anybody about what they saw, more for the fact that uh, Ed decided after he wondered whether she should tell anybody because he thought. This thing picked me up some distance and then dropped me. What if I had been a little child? Maybe I was too heavy for it, but a little kid it could pick up and take away. So he was worried that uh, there might be something dangerous to one of these objects if uh, it were to fly over and capture a kid. He debated with his wife as to whether to tell anybody, and he finally decided to uh, take the pictures to the local paper, the, the weekly Sentinel that published on Thursdays. And um, with a story that was taken by Mr. X, he didn't admit to having taken the pictures. And so the pictures got published. A week later, this was two weeks after the sighting, he he took the pictures to the newspaper 
the week after the event, and then two weeks after the event, they were published. And uh, at that point, if I got my timing correctly, at that point, the other witnesses came forth and said, hey, we saw the same thing. So as far as the UFO investigators were concerned, by the beginning, this, this started on November 11th, but by the beginning of December, they had uh, a Mr. X with photos and a number of witnesses who didn't have photos but had explicit descriptions of what they saw. Uh, this continued for Ed and to some extent for other witnesses during December. He got a lot of photos and a lot of these different events. And uh, I can't recall them all now. I used to be able to recite the whole thing years ago, but um, I really haven't got time to go into all the details of each individual case, I guess. Anyway, he had several events, one with his family being involved and one uh, with a video during December, and by during December, the, the MUFON investigators figured out that Mr. X was actually the photographer, but they didn't say anything. They waited for him to admit it, and he finally did in January of 1988. <clears throat> he admitted that he was the photographer and that um, he was willing to go through all his events, and, he, and so they interviewed him for a couple hours. Now... Events happened continually in January and February. And uh, the word about this phenomenon of multiple photos and so on was getting out and being circulated around MUFON. Um, Bud Hopkins went to Gulf Breeze and uh, talked to the family members and learned about their sightings and concluded that this was probably real because he couldn't imagine. Ed did not seem to be a sociopath, somebody who could uh, tell stories and believe them even though they're all wrong. He didn't think he could, Ed was a successful home builder. Uh, he had to have some credibility. And um, of course, there was a family involved in one particular sighting that was quite, quite amazing. So, We'll get back yeah. to Ed Walters, Gulf Breeze, lots more with Dr. Bruce Maccabee. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. from the shackles of corporate America. We're the place for independent thinkers. GCN. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the People grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. 
If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terraganics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terraganics. Life's getting better. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, maybe we should get this out of the way at the outset here, Bruce. There have been questions about Ed Walter's credibility, as you know. One, that he had some kind of run-ins with the law, for example. Yeah. When he was 19, he uh, was a bad boy and uh, got caught trying to cash somebody else's check, forging a forging a signature, spent a couple of years in prison. Uh, in his late 30s, early 40s, at the time of these sightings, he applied for a complete pardon or clearing of his name. And so while MUFON investigators were running around investigating his UFO sightings, Department of Florida Department of Justice investigators were investigating Ed Walters. And uh, guess what? They, uh, he, had, he had done enough good things, I guess you could say, so they balanced off the bad stuff he did when he was 19, and they uh, erased his record. And uh, as long as he was a felon, he couldn't own a gun. After they erased his record, he could own a gun if he wanted to. Point being that they didn't find anything, a character de- deficiency in his dealings with ordinary stuff. And, of course, Ed said, well, of course, I had to tell him all this stuff about the UFOs as well. But anyway, so the question was, was he uh, uh, in in bad with the law? And the answer is yes, but the law ultimately exonerated him for everything. The other issue here was supposedly he had made pictures, fake pictures of ghosts for his daughter. What's that about? Yeah, that was the ghost photos argument. Um, the ghost photos argument is important only from the point of view of, of double exposing film. And... Uh, the argument goes that Ed's pictures are all double exposures. I described the double exposure earlier already, where you take a picture of a background scene, maybe a dark scene at night. Uh, well, first of all, you take a picture of a UFO in your bathroom where it's totally dark and there's no light except on the UFO itself. And so now you've got a late, what's called a latent image on a Polaroid picture. This is a latent image. It's, it's there, but it isn't developed. You go outside and take a picture of the background scene. I did this with his camera right in front of him. He didn't know what I was doing, but basically it's claimed that he he knew all about double exposures from these so-called ghost photos. You take one photo of the UFO in the dark room, and the other bright thing is the UFO. You then go outside and you take a picture of the, up, up in the sky. and You want to have enough of light so that you can see that there's a background. Then pull a, pull a film out of the camera and uh, start developing. 
turned out with his old camera you could click the shutter any number of times before you pull the film out. So it was really easy to do a double exposure. Yeah, and I did it on myself by taking a uh, a picture of a lamp, a post, a, a lamp that was on a post at some distance from his house. So I, it was bright. And then I walked over to where he was standing in front of his house talking to another investigator. And I said, I'm going to say, uh, there's a, well, I took a, took the second picture, which showed the bright uh, glow of the sky and the nearby trees and stuff like that. So you had a, a picture that you could hold the picture up and say you knew where your picture was taken because you could see the uh, background. Sure enough, in the developed result, there was this bright light up in the sky, and Ed walked around and around looking for where in the world did it go. I didn't see it. <laughs> I told him what I had done. But the thing is, the double exposure was claimed to be the way he created all his pictures, and the skeptics claimed that uh, they could prove that he knew how to do double exposures because of these so-called ghost photos. In the ghost photo situation, he would take, uh, he and his wife would have parties for the kids. And uh, he said that he would make a, quote, ghost photo, unquote, by defocusing the lens and taking a picture of somebody and make, make them look all, uh, look funny, like ghosty. Well, they took one picture, which had some reflections of something in it. The witnesses tried to claim, the ghost so far as to claim it was a picture of the devil. Ed and his wife were playing around with uh, bad stuff <laughs> uh, and scaring kids. Um, but the, the picture itself really doesn't show anything. Uh, you can see the, the young lady, and you can see some some kind of uh, image image structure, but it doesn't really look like anything. It doesn't prove there was a double exposure. Right. Well, well, so, you, men- you mentioned the devil, and, and the, the, de- the devil is in the details, uh, definitely, in some of these photographs. The most famous one is the one where the object seems to be hovering in front of his truck uh, over the road. Right. And one thing that I've noticed is you see the reflection of the tree line in, in, in his hood, but you don't see the reflection of the object that uh, appears to be self-illuminated uh, fairly close to the vehicle. Uh, yeah. how, how, how do you explain that? Well, first of all, let me say that his photo number 11, uh, t- taken at night, when he was uh, waked up in the middle of the night by one of these things coming right up next to his house, right next to the back door of his bedroom, and he chased it away. He grabbed his camera and ran after this thing. And he got a picture uh, uh, looking out in his backyard, which was basically a high school play yard. And um, you see the object out there, and you see this line, blue line coming down from the object and ending uh, some distance from the object, like a blue beam coming down. Well, it turns out that that blue beam image crosses over the horizon line. There's enough of light in the sky, so you can see where the sky is, and you can see where the below the sky or below the skyline is. is is perfectly black. The um, beam comes down, crosses this boundary of the light above, dark below. It crosses the boundary, but the blue beam color... The brightness of the blue beam does not change at all. Unfortunately, I didn't realize this until uh, several years afterwards when I was given a, a image process by uh, Jeffrey Sanio. Well, I should have noticed it right off because it proved that that particular photo at least was not a double exposure. Had it been a double exposure, the brightness of the blue beam above the horizon would have been greater than the brightness of the blue beam below the horizon. 
That's because double exposure, all you can do to film is add light. You can't subtract it or add image. You can't subtract it. So when uh, up above the, uh, all above the horizon line, there you would have the brightness of the blue beam plus the brightness of the horizon, or brightness of the sky, and down below the horizon line you'd have the brightness of the blue beam by itself. The brightness of the blue beam plus the background sky should be greater than the brightness of the blue beam by itself. If this was double exposure. In other words, if he had somehow made a uh, model with a blue ribbon, let's say, extending downwards from the model, and managed to light it carefully so that there wasn't any background stuff uh, available. He does this all in his bathroom, say, for example, or some special dark room. He may photographs the model with this blue ribbon hanging down from it. Then he goes outside and he very cleverly places the uh, image of the UFO up above the horizon and a beam coming down and crosses the horizon. And as I said, the, the net result would be the light from the background sky above the horizon would add to the blue beam light and there would be nothing below the horizon to add to the blue beam light. So you ought to, if you did a brightness scan of the, uh, along the length of this blue beam image, you should find a drop in brightness of the horizon. And you don't. It's almost as if the blue beam was opaque. So the bottom line is, it'd be impossible to do that as a simple double exposure. So that was one of the counter-arguments. Now you talk about the one on the road. It was pointed out that there were there was no uh, light reflected in the hood. That's a very complicated uh, situation, but I investigated that as well. It turned out that Ed had been in an accident. He had his truck parked at a construction site. There was in front of him a backhoe. And the backhoe guy was driving the backhoe and accidentally backed into Ed's, Ed's truck, causing a wrinkle or a bend in the hood. And this bend in the hood offers the explanation. You cannot you can see not only the um the tree the tree line that you're talking about in the hood, but there's also an inverted picture of the tree line. That inverted picture is only there because of the bend in the hood. And it just so happens that if you work out the reflections, oh, there's one more thing, too. And when you had the truck, had a whole bunch of cement blocks at the back end of it. Let's continue with the truck and the configuration in our next segment. Bruce McAbee is joining us. We're talking about the Gulf Breeze case, specifically Ed Walter's involvement in it. More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24 7 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. 
Manna Bosal here for Midas Resources. Today, February 6, 2014, gold opened at 1262.80. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1308.92, 654.46 for a half ounce, or 327.23 for a quarter ounce. Again, that's 1308.92, 654.46, and 327.23. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237. Great news, pure water lovers. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy bodies products from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water. There are many things the human body can do very well, but maintaining the proper pH level isn't always one of them. That's where AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops can make a world of difference. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps your body do what's natural. Just a few drops a day helps rid your body of harmful waste and acid while promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Alkalizing boosts your immune system and can help fight headaches, irritability, cramping, and insomnia. Alkalizing also helps the body fight depression and even bone loss. To learn more, more about the importance of alkalizing and how you can find life-changing and vital balance, please visit AlkaVision's brand new website at AlkaVision.com. Same great products, but now easier to use and more informative than ever before. To get your very own plasma pH drops for just $29.95, call 800-518-7615 or visit AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Alkalize your body and supercharge your health at the new AlkaVision.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, so we're going through the details about Ed Walters... Gulf Breeze UFO sightings with Gene and Chris and Dr. Bruce McAbee. Bruce, you were talking about his truck? Yeah, Ed was in his pickup truck when he took the picture. He had a whole bunch of cement blocks in the back of his pickup truck that caused it to tilt upwards. Well, it just so happened that the crease in the front due to that accident caused there to be a double, a lowest height of reflection, I guess you could say. If you started way up, if you started way up high, at the distance of a few thousand, a few hundreds of feet, let's say, 
had the light been way had the light from the UFO been way up high, it would have appeared in the uh, in the hood. And as you drop the you, the, the hypothetical light downwards and downwards, it would move. The image would move to the front of the hood and uh, ultimately disappear. Well, where uh, it ultimately disappeared someplace well below the tree line. But uh, the bend in the hood caused the optics to be different from what you expect. As you look along the hood to where you expect, you see the tree line appear, then there's a little dark area, and then the tree line inverted because the, uh, the reflection is now going back up into the sky. You really need a diagram, and it's hard to describe. And for people who haven't seen this picture, they probably haven't got a clue as to what I'm talking about. It's very technical, but the point is, there is an explanation for why you don't see any lights in in the hood. And I had Ed do some experiments with lights in front of the hood, in front of the truck at the same place, and they bear out the uh, explanation that I gave as to why there was no uh, reflection. Uh, in the hood. Hmm. Well, one thing I've uh, noticed. I should point out that this is one of thirty some pictures that was taken by Ed uh, from between November 9, November eleventh, nineteen eighty seven, and uh, the first of June, May of nineteen eighty eight. There were other sightings, as I said, the first night. There were, I think, I think five or six other sightings. Before Ed's on that first night of November 11, 1987. Other witnesses had sightings. Some even submitted photographs to the newspaper during late November and December of the, of 1987. In January of 1988, Ed got a couple of pictures. In February, he was given a, uh, a sealed camera with four lenses on it. So, a camera invented by a guy by the name of Nimslow, the Nimslow camera was designed to have two-and-a-half-inch spacing between the two outer lenses to give a three-dimensional stereoscopic view of whatever you take a picture of. Ed was told that this camera had four lenses and they would, it would take four individual pictures that would be useful for giving to different uh, analysts. And uh, He was not told anything about the stereo aspect. The stereo aspect is important because you could, in principle, calculate the distance from the camera to an object if you know the uh, parallax, the spacing between the images and the two outer lenses, in other words, the same way your eyeballs work. If you can, if your eyes are equal in their capability of focus, then you can tell the distance of things by stereoscopic view. Ed was not told that. Maybe he figured it out, but he wasn't told that in any of that. He uh, finally took pictures with that camera, and. Uh, he saw, he had a sighting with his wife where she thought the thing was close by and he thought it was distant. But in any case, it turned out to be 40 or 40 to 70 feet away according to the stereoscopic view. And this object would have been a couple of feet in size. One point is he did take a picture with it and submitted the picture. He took 10 pictures actually with his camera and submitted these pictures for analysis. Had he been a faker, there was a super photographer that he was accused of being. He would have known what was going on. Would have refused the camera. It was a sealed camera. And it was sealed by wax by the guy who loaded the camera, Tom Dooley. 
and uh, it was unsealed after the photos had been taken. It was unsealed in a public display of uh, uh, of, his, of, these, of this particular sighting. So there's no doubt about the fact that he took these ten pictures, and uh, as I said, they showed some object that was about two and a half feet long with multiple lights on it, and it was about 40 feet away from him. My estimate space on calibrating the camera. He also took, uh, he went, he had been accused of doing, using a camera that he could do double exposures on. So that was his old, his old Polaroid, where you could click the lens, click the shutter any number of times before you pull the film out, so he could do a double exposure pretty easily. He went and got himself a model 600 Polaroid, which is the most recent type. And it had a motor in it that ejects the film. You take a picture and immediately it ejects the film. In other words, you don't have a chance to do a double exposure. And he took a couple of pictures with that. And uh, this was in response to the skeptic saying, as I said, that he had been he had been claimed that he was taking double exposures. Well, with this new Model 600 camera, uh, we we had to call up the people in Polaroid to find out how you could do a double exposure if you could. And they said the only way we could do that would be to uh, click the shutter and push the film back in again into this mechanism against this uh, natural operation, something that uh, nobody had ever thought of before. So anyway, he had taken picture with us, this Nimsbow stereo camera, and after the pictures were developed, we told him you know, why we had done it to be able to measure the distance. And I said, uh, well, you've got a Model 600 camera now. Maybe you could get another Model 600 camera, put them on a tripod, uh, separate them by a foot, and take even better tr stereo pictures. The stereo pictures allow you to calculate distance. He's a, he was always very avid to uh, have his... Uh, the, he was telling the truth in, his, in all his pictures and so on. So he uh, wanted to come up with evidence that would prove he was telling the truth. And uh, if he could prove that the picture, if the model... Uh, well, if, he, if the stereo showed some object at hundreds of feet away and tens of feet in size, it obviously wasn't the model that he was making in his, uh, in his bathroom uh, and taking pictures of it in the bathroom or whatever. So the next thing I know, he's made a uh, two-camera tripod, what I call the self-referencing stereo camera, SRS, and he's done me one foot better. He's put these, these cameras two feet apart. You ought to be able to, with some good calibration, you ought to be able to measure distances up to 200 feet or more where the camera has a separation of 200, of two feet. And he took several pictures with that. And they took a very complicated multiple witness case where the camera object seemed to be 180 feet away and so on. But the, the thing that really got me, uh, I said, okay, this is all real, was on May 1 of 1988. When you use this camera to take a picture, which had two UFOs in it, it had the the type that was over the road, what I call a Type 1, and then the uh, Nimslow type. Both of them, they're at different distances and different sizes, but it required a mathematical genius to figure out how to take this picture. Uh, I figured out how to hoax these things after the fact. I'm sure Ed didn't have a close, the slightest clue. And this picture... On May 1, like I said, had the uh, Type 1 object three, three or 400 feet away over water. Let's pursue this in our next segment, okay, Bruce? Okay. Dr. Bruce McAbee joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The 
nation's largest independently owned and operated talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network, GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. It's time for a home security quiz. What effective home security device is smaller than a coffee cup, fakes out burglars into thinking someone is home at your house while you're away, plugs into any wall outlet, is recommended by many police departments, and sells for less than $30? Yes, it's fake TV. This year, about one in every 50 U.S. homes will have a break-in, with burglars usually picking the easy target, a dark house that looks like no one is home. Fake TV is a small electronic security device that makes it look like someone is home watching TV by simulating the light from a real TV. Fake TV could be the difference between coming home to a secure house or one that's been ransacked. To get your fake TV for only $29.95 with free shipping, go to faketv.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. That's 877-532-5388 or go to faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it, it certainly does work. That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract. I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep. Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation. After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5301.
1-800-273-0805. I ordered a third bottle of Heart and Body Extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order Heart and Body Extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. So listeners, what Bruce McAbee is doing here is dissecting the various elements of these photos made by Ed Walters with, as you say, very tight control so he couldn't do some hanky-panky or do something funky to create these pictures. The was unique in the annals of ufology for a number of reasons, but one of them is that the sightings continued along with the investigation. It means that we had an impact. We could have an impact on the investigation. For example, giving the guy a stereo camera and has his, he and his wife have a picture uh, have a sighting where he takes the, the stereo camera st- takes the pictures with an insole camera and then I suggested that he take two model 600 cameras and put them a couple of feet apart or a foot apart and he does it two feet which is even better if he had been, if he had been photographing a model at a distance of 20 feet the parallax effect would have been immediately obvious that it was a fake, that he was faking. Uh, and uh, so when he came up with a picture on May 1, that showed two different UFOs of different sizes and different distances, <clears throat> a virtual impossibility to fake under the conditions that he took these pictures. Uh, that was enough for me uh, to say this was real. Now, I should say that this involved people other than Ed there had been people the first night, November 11th, 1987, and then there were scattered sightings by a bunch of people during December, January, and into February. And then in February and late March, the sighting rate by other people increased. He didn't have any sightings in April, but uh, other people did. And a lot of these people were saying they saw the same thing that had photographed, or they saw, oh, you might say, the light from it. So basically, despite a few minor questions about his background, or maybe not so minor, depending on your point of view, Mr. Ed, Ed Walters has this sealed box of a camera where he takes pictures and gets results. But we also have other people having similar experiences, and they are not connected to Ed Walters in any way. I wrote a paper and presented a paper at the Newfoundland Symposium in 89, I think, called Gulf Breeze Without Ed. Ed had 36 or 37 sightings in that period of time. There were a couple hundred other people who also reported sightings within 90, 90, 87, 88, 89 time frame. I think maybe up to 90. Point being that he wasn't he wasn't there by himself. But in 18, 1980, no, I'm sorry, 1990, he published his book, uh, The Gulf Sightings. And at the same time. Um, in the spring of 90, a uh, reporter for the uh, Pensacola newspaper did an investigation. Uh, and first of all, he interviewed other people who had seen the same thing, and uh, things went good. Then he uh, did an article on the ghost photos and tried to argue that it had double exposed everything. And then all hell broke loose when um, he asked the guy who was now living in Ed's house, Ed had moved out of the house that he was living in, he had moved out of it and sold it. And the guy, uh, the newspaper reporter, asked the man, have you seen any UFOs around? And the guy said, no, this was in March of uh, 1990, several years after the sightings. 
Have you seen any UFOs around? No. Have you seen any photos of UFOs around? No. The, how about any models? That's the third question that this newspaper reporter asked. Have you seen any models lying around in, in the house or outside or whatever? And the guy says, oh, yeah, there was a model. Turns out that this model was similar to but not identical to what was shown in the pictures. And, of course, the immediate argument was made that, well, it had a, a model about a, uh, eight or nine inches in diameter that he was using to uh, take his pictures of in a double-exposure manner. And then to, be, to top that off, a young man by the name of Tommy Smith claimed that he was with Ed when Ed took a fake a lot of pictures. Uh, Tommy Smith's arguments fell apart, and so did the model argument fall apart when they found out that the model was made out of, uh, out of um, paper, uh, drafting paper. The model was made out of Ed's drafting paper that had been used to make a model of a house. Uh, that didn't occur until 1989, after those, after his, long after his photos had been taken. So the model didn't exist at the time of the photos. And Tommy Smith's testimony was found to be about as solid as a Swiss cheese. Remember, I mentioned the um, the blue beam photo, proving that uh, at least that photo wasn't a double exposure. Uh, Tommy Smith says Ed told him how he had made pictures, and one person interviewing Tommy Smith said. Well, how did Ed describe how he made this photo with the blue beam? And Tommy Smith answered, well, Ed said that he had peeled the, pole, peeled the film back in some way or other and made, a, made this image. Well, even the, even the skeptics didn't go for that. Uh, there's so many other details that I don't have time to go into uh, that were all refuted. Uh, it's kind of interesting that all these people, are, the kids that were involved in the sightings, Ed's children were teenagers, Tommy Smith was a teenager. They're all adults now, and one could go back to them and say, well, what do you think about what you t testified way back in the old days, uh, the time of Ed's pictures? Uh, and it would be interesting to see what they would say now. As I said, Tommy Smith's testimony was found to be about as solid as a Swiss cheese. The uh, model wasn't made until after Ed's pictures had been taken. And... Uh, Ed sightings and other sightings continued beyond 1990. I saw myself uh, something strange down there in September of 1991. In 1990, a whole bunch of series of sightings of red lights flying through the sky were seen. These were immediately thought of as uh, flares attached to balloons. But if that were true, then um, they are very strange flares. They glow red and then have very bright white flashes of light, and uh, it's a little dangerous to be flying flares in an area over, t over a town anyway. All right, granted that, we haven't have a lot of time left, and I want to kind of move the answers quickly. Okay, so how long did these sightings continue? What's the last time that you have a record of? Well, I think Ed's last photo was 1997, but... Uh, I was, as I said, I went there in 1990, 1991, uh, 1992. I guess it was 1992 when I went there and had a sighting myself. The uh, red light sightings, uh, so-called bubba sightings, lasted until, uh, um, no, they lasted until July of 1992. After that, things became very sporadic. Uh, the, the MUFON investigators cataloged maybe a few dozen sightings per year after that. Ed had a couple of 
photographic sightings, uh, one of them which is uh, on my website, is stuff that were written in a book called UFOs Are Real, Here's the Proof. It was published in 95 or 96, I guess. And uh, that includes pictures and sightings that go beyond what's in the, uh, the original book. Uh, Let me ask you a question here. I'm sorry to move it along, but we don't have much time left. Okay, Ed Walters, when was the last time you heard from him? What is he doing these days? Well, Ed has always been a uh, home builder, but uh, he got into... Uh, uh, when they had a big hurricane in 1993, I think it was, that wiped out Pensacola Beach. Now, Pensacola Beach had some big hotels on it, but there was the sand dunes were all gone, and, and pay telephones were all screwed up, washed away. Ed, who was a wealthy person, um, agreed to put back the telephones, provided he was made part of the... Uh, uh, Tell South Bell Company, and uh, so he became a telephone person. <laughs> um, what else he may be doing, I don't know. Uh, last I saw him was, uh, I think, 2000, the spring of 2008, I think it was. And, uh, of course, he was sticking to his story. I asked him at the time, you know, well, do you and your kids ever talk about this? That happened uh, 20 some years before. And he says, well, basically, yeah, I guess we, we, we live as if, it, as if it never happened. <laughs> it sounds like a better answer. It's out of these cases. Dr. Bruce Maccabee joins Gene and Chris for one more segment. You're in the Paracast. We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for under $30,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet under $30,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 
multi 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call 866 91 Steel. Lock in your price now. Take delivery in spring. 866 91 Steel. That's 866 917 8335. Now you can get the same survival food U.S. Special Forces use on their toughest field missions. High-protein, high-energy, freeze-dried foods known as long-range patrol rations or LERPs. Soldiers love LERP rations. They're lightweight and easy to carry. Easy to prepare by just adding water. Easy to enjoy because they taste great. Civilians love LERPs as a solution for emergency preparedness and recreational activities with limited storage space, such as hiking, climbing, sailing, or RV travel. Veteran-owned Freeze-Dry Guy is your exclusive source for this 2013 U.S. military overrun. Long on nutrition, these delicious entrees have a long shelf life, lasting decades. But this rare opportunity, this limited supply, will not last long. You have to act now. Call 866-404-3663, 866-404-FOOD. Or log on now to freezedryguy.com, freezedryguy.com. Hi, my name is DeRay. Suffering from migraines, having Botox injections in my head and neck to alleviate pain, costing $1,500 out of my pocket. I discovered Dr. Ortman and Gentle Touch Chiropractic Adjustment called Nuka. I'm migraine-free since my first adjustment. Thanks for giving me my life back, Dr. Ortman. I wish they prescribed you instead of Botox. Thanks, DeRay. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the solution. We design a nutritional supplement program the body can handle, actually absorb, providing nutrients targeting the problem area. Between Nuka and nutrition, we will have you on the road to a faster and more permanent recovery. Look us up on the web at drwartman.com or call 952-303-9124. Let us help you feel better faster. Wellspring Spinal Care at 952-303-9124. Again, that's 952-303-9124. Or on the web at drortman.com. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. This is our final segment with Dr. Bruce McAbee. He spent a lot of the last, say, third of the show detailing the various Gulf Breeze photos, Ed Walters, why he believes Ed Walters is accurate. Chris, we have tons and tons of questions we'll never get to. Are there any questions that you could put together from what Bruce has been talking about here about Gulf Breeze? Uh, uh, Let me just quickly refer to some of the stuff that happened after Ed's initial sightings in 1987 and 88. There was all the Bubba sightings, and Ed had a few sightings among those, but that involved a lot of people, 170 Bubba sightings logged by the Newfound investigators with numbers of witnesses ranging from three or four all up to 100, including cops and stuff like that. Uh, for a period of time, Gulf Breeze was the UFO center of the world, and literally news people from all over the world came to, to, to break this, to figure this stuff out, and they would have a sighting, and they would be freaked out themselves. But as individual sightings of craft, uh, he had a very famous sighting of an object that was up in the sky hovering when uh, F-15s came along and flew around it. 
Uh, he has a, a photo of a, what I call a water spout photo, where an object came and hovered over the um, uh, Santa Rosa Sound while he was in his office looking out the window. He saw this thing come down, and then he saw what looked like a stream of water come up from below and uh, touch the bottom of the craft. His impression was that this thing was sucking up water. You know what? Uh, I'm, I understand this. We can go on for 12 other shows. But we're really getting close to the end well, of this I, episode. Well, I've got one question, and, and sure. I've always thought that the, possibly the close proximity of one of our most important naval air stations somehow factors into this. Uh, have uh, the investigators that have looked into this case ever looked at the possibility that some of this stuff could have been psychological weapons uh, operations, some sort of psychotronic uh, platforms? that were being trotted out and flown around. And, and my other question would be, how come Ed Walters got all these pictures and we have so few other pictures? Well, there were other pictures, which uh, were not as detailed, but not as many. Uh, one, one problem was a series of photos that came out in uh, December of 1987 at the same time of Ed's first pictures. There were two, two sets of photos that came out, but the people who wished to remain anonymous, so you have the problem of uh, nobody to talk to. Anyway, uh, you can always ask, you know, why did Ed get all this stuff and no, nobody else did? Part of it was initially he was kept getting his hum in his head and it would uh, alert him that there's something being nearby and he would grab his camera and get it and get a photo. So he was being drawn to it, Bruce, is what you're saying. Well, he was being drawn to these encounters. Well, they were something being drawn like to him. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> all right, Chris, you had another question? There's uh, quite a number of questions here, uh, Bruce. One one thing that's come up over the years is, is people have questioned uh, your involvement in the case and, and suggested that there possibly was uh, some sort of conflict of interest. Uh, were you involved in the actual pre-negotiations uh, uh, with the, the Gulf Breeze book, and did you receive part of the advance? I've heard uh, fantastic numbers tossed around. Love to get this uh, this nailed down. Yeah, I was I... Uh, his, his book was, um, let's see, discussed in, uh, I guess, 1988, late 88. Uh, it's been so long now, I can't remember the exact timing. I was not involved in any of the negotiations. Ed paid me, essentially, to write the last chapter of the book. And uh, anybody can go and read what I wrote. Uh, I was... Uh, just as dubious about the whole thing to begin with as everybody else. But like I said, when I uh, got these stereo photos on May 1, I figured, oh, <laughs> this is true. Well, I've, I've heard and, some pretty pretty fantastic five-figure numbers tossed around about how much w were you paid. Have you officially uh, ever, paid, ever acknowledged? I was paid, paid $18,000. Wow, wow. Man, I wish I could get I an advance like that to yeah, run I didn't. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know I was going to get anything until um, well, sometime late in 80, 80, 80, 89, I can't remember. Long after the sightings were over. Because yeah, you got paid after you wrote that that chapter, then. Yeah. Was this a piece of the pie? The total royalties that he got, or what? It was a piece of what he got, yeah. Okay. So if the book had not been a bestseller, you would have gotten a lot less? I I, I got a fixed amount, I think it was. Okay. And so if the book was a super bestseller, it didn't make any difference. I got a certain amount, and that was it. 
Another thing point that is, the point, point is that I had I had completed my analysis way in, in May of 1988, long before there was anything about a book. Chris, another thing that's always intrigued me is the, as you called it, the Type One object that's most famous uh, out of uh, Ed Walter's photographs. Have you ever seen examples of this type of craft prior to the Gulf Breeze sightings, or even since then, for that matter? So, there have been things roughly comparable, but the most surprising thing to me was, as a result of Ed's first book, uh, he got a lot of photographs from other people, including photographs from other countries, which showed it was obviously the same thing. And that's in uh, UFOs Are Real, Here's the Proof. As a paperback. Uh, I guess it's still available on Amazon, or I don't know for sure. I haven't looked for a long time. Well, where, where does Gulf Breeze fit in as uh, an important case? Do you feel that this is a really important case? Uh, where, where does it figure in terms of ufological well, research? Well, the fact, the fact that it occurred, and like I said, there were hundreds of other witnesses. It wasn't just Ed. So if you took Ed out, you'd have your, you could have yourself the Gulf Breeze flap without Ed. Um, what did we learn from the Gulf Breeze case? Well, it took place. It, it shows that uh, weird things can happen. Some people will notice and some people won't. Uh, Ed's own personal story involves that he was apparently an abductee. He didn't he didn't want to even consider that. But on this May 1 event where he got two UFOs, was the first time that he got evidence that something unusual, something strange was happening to him. He took the two he took the photo of the UFOs, and then he had a whiteout situation. He took the photo about midnight. Two hours later, he wakes up, looks at his watch. He's lying on the beach. This is, he was taken on, on a beach at uh, Gulf Breeze, looking south over the Santa Rosa Sound, where he had his tripod set up to take the picture. Take, he had heard a hum in his head, and he was ready to take pictures of it. And uh, he finds himself on the beach, lying on the beach two, about two hours later, and he's missing a couple hours of time. He called me up the next day at about noon and described what happened. And he called one of the local, and he told me that he had these strange bumps on his head, one on his forehead, one on left and right temples, so that's three bumps, and one on the back of his head, that's four bumps on his head, lumps, or whatever you want to call them. He called up one of the local investigators and had him come and take pictures of this. We didn't know what that signified until a month later when Ed underwent hypnosis, and uh, his, uh, the story that came out under hypnosis was that um, he was acting as a, a, a teacher to small creatures. He said he put, he's, he's in a room, he's sitting on a table, they put this special bracket or hat over his head that's got four contact points on his head, and then they bring in, these are aliens presumably, bring into this room uh, s several small versions of the creatures. This is a fascinating tale itself, <laughs> Vaz abduction, yeah. but we're out of time, so I can't persist <clears throat> with it. Bruce McAbee, tell our listeners where they can find more of your material. Well, brumac.8k.com, 100 megabytes worth of stuff for reading. I'm going to be reissuing my book, UFO, with a new name, UFOs, the, the UFO-FBI-CIA Connection with information about uh, the CIA is totally new. 
That might be a separate interview, Bruce Maccabee. Yeah, we're going to have to have you back, Dr. Maccabee. Yeah, I think that's it. Maybe like in a month or so, Bruce, we'll have you back and we'll talk more about it. In the meantime, Chris O'Brien's site is OurStrangePlanet.com. Stay tuned for Stalking the Herd. Going to be at your favorite bookstore on Amazon just a few weeks hence. You can find us on Twitter. We're known as The Powercast. Look for The Powercast on Twitter or go to thepowercast.com and check out every single episode of the show. This is back in 2006, including several previous appearances by Dr. Bruce McAbee. Dr. Bruce McAbee, thanks for joining us on The Powercast. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.